bring in James Myrtle of the Athletic right now for for some reason because we we're dying for trades around the NHL, James, and and nobody really knows how to do them because everybody's up against the cap. But you know how the Leafs could make something work. So so just maybe give us a background on on where the Leafs are at right now in terms of actual cap space and and where maybe they could find a little bit more if they must. Hey guys, yeah, I mean. The reason that I wanted to write the piece last week was because it's kind of misleading if you just go to Cap Friendly or one of the other Cap websites. It says basically the Leafs don't have any space, and you know they're over the cap because they're in LTIR. And I was like, well, I wonder like how much they can actually create if they just are really aggressive in trying to create cap space. And you know, one of the key things to keep in mind is that when everyone's healthy, when Austin Matthews is back, when Matt Murray's back, they can demote all of the players that are there on the roster. They can they can take the roster rate down. To the minimum of, of 20 players and they can actually even go under the 20 player minimum because if you're making a trade you're bringing someone in that's going to be replacing that those players that are getting you to the 20 players so you know a, a big piece of how they can free up cap space is just moving out some of the fringe for lack of a better term the fringe bodies like the fringe players that are like their extra skaters when they came into the year after they signed Callie Yarncroft in the offseason the Leafs were so close to the cap that they were basically going to be down to a league minimum roster, or if they got fully healthy, potentially they'd have to play games with fewer than the 20-player roster. So that's how tight they were coming into the season. Jake Muzzin gets hurt after four games, goes on LTIR, creates this extra cap space. And I think that, you know, if if, they're, if the Leafs are really, really aggressive, I think they can free up between four and five million in space. And with things like like salary retention, and you can even do a double retention like they did with Nick Foligno a couple of years ago. I think with those things in play, the Leafs can really be aggressive, and they can add two good players if they want. Like I, I don't think that the cap is going to be as limiting a factor as it's been made out to be in some other places. Interesting. So it, it, you believe they could add two? Like if they wanted to add a top four defenseman and a top six winger, there's a path for that to happen? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I mean it's it's you, they're going to have to be really a creative and they might have to play with a, you know, a league minimum roster or play a game one player short potentially even if they get get really really tight, but you know the math you can do, you know, when they're in LTIR is, you know, if you do a, a half retention deal, you have to take on half the player's salary, so that eats up that percentage of the cap space. So I mean, I, the illustration that I had in the in the story I wrote was Patrick Kane, and mostly it wasn't because I think the Leafs are going to get Patrick Kane. I don't think they are. It's just that his contract is so enormous at ten and a half million. It's like, can the Leafs actually fit this in? And if you run the math, you would have to do a double retention, which means you you trade the team that the Chicago would have to trade Patrick Kane to another team. They retain a piece of the contract. Chicago retains half the contract and then the Leafs only have to absorb 25% of Patrick Kane's contract. And at 25%, if I can do the math in my head, 2.625 million, that can fit. You know, if the Leafs can free up four to 5 million, you can fit in Patrick Kane's contract. And then you still have money left over to add a defenseman or add another forward or whatever you want to do. So, you know, and it was interesting to me that Kyle Dubas, when he spoke last week, talked about that their their desire would be to add a forward and a defenseman, and I think that that's really what they should try and do. So something else that he brought up, though, was, you know, his, his unwillingness to go after rentals. So immediately mm-hmm. you kind of looked at guys like Ryan O'Reilly, Patrick Kane was a name, Gabrikov is a name. Like, these guys have been linked to Toronto, and, you know, we've been talking about them for the last month or so, about potentially, you know, going after those guys. But, like, do you think that maybe 
he that was a little lip service. Like, if the deal is there, is he willing to part with? Because to do this double retention for some of these guys, you're going to have to pay up for that, right? Like, do you get the sense that Dubis will be willing to pay up for that if that means that he could get two items as opposed to just one? Well, the interesting thing is that a lot of these guys, like Ryan O'Reilly's contract, if you look at it, it's almost all in signing bonuses. So almost all of his contract has already been paid out. There's only a million in salary left. So you're probably not going to have to pay that much for a double retention because there's just not a lot of money there that the team's going to have to absorb. So if you're involving a third team, they're only going to have to pay a quarter, which is how much of the season's left of the trade deadline. They only have to pay a quarter of, of the million dollars in salary that's left. So you're talking about, you know, maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars at most. So, you know, that's one thing that works in the Leafs' favor. But, you know, to answer your question, I, I think that where the Leafs are, are, are wary is they don't want to give up, you know, Matthew Nyes or their first-round picks uh, for a rental. So that's that's one of the disqualifiers. But the thing that they could do is if it's a Gavrikov, like I think I think if you're trading for Gavrikov, you're talking to the agent. The Leafs have a really good relationship with his agent, Dan Milstein. You're talking to the agent, and you're talking about what does an extension look like. And then all of a sudden it's not a rental, right? Like if, if there's an extension there to be had with Ryan O'Reilly or with Gavrikov, uh, you know, you can make the trade and you can't, you will feel more inclined to give up a good prospect or give up a first round pick because you know that you're going to be able to get the player signed and they're going to be on your roster for, for some time to come. So I think that that's probably where they're going to have to land if they're, if they're trading for a rental is they have to feel pretty good about that player staying. So which one of these uh, potential, potential deals, guys that would constitute as blockbusters is the most attractive and, and the most feasible to you from a Leafs perspective? Oh, I mean, attractive and feasible are different things. So, <laughs> That's I mean, so true. Like, I, like getting Timo attractive, Meyer but would, also feasible, maybe yeah. <laughs> is more I appropriate. Mean, getting Timo Meyer would be amazing. Like he's the best player that's available at this trade deadline, you know. And there have been there's been some rumors that potentially they could think about making that work. And you know, you could make the money work. It's just he's got a ten million dollar qualifying offer in the summer, and any kind of extension for him. I mean, minimum you'd be paying eight and a half, nine million for Timo Meyer. He's one of the best wingers in the league. Like he's just kind of hidden away in San Jose, but you know, he's big, he, he's physical, he, he scores. Like it would really turn. You know, that we've talked about the core four forwards for so long in Toronto. All of a sudden, they would have a core five, and there's something really appealing about that. But with him, you know, he's not even a UFA. He's not even a peer rental. So, you know, I, I don't know how feasible that is, though. I mean, the the real reality is is that there are other contending teams like New Jersey that also really want Timo Meyer and that are going to be really aggressive in getting the extension done the way the Islanders did with Bo Horvat. So, you know, are, are the Leafs willing to play in, in that space? And if they are, I mean, you know, the asking price is going to look like what the Islanders gave up to Bo, get Bo Horvat, which is really good prospect, first-round pick, and a roster player. And are the Leafs willing to go there? And are they willing to go there with a player that is going to be really hard to fit into their cap situation beyond this year? In conversation with James Myrtle of The Athletic, and talk about feasibility. I mean, James, how feasible is it for the Maple Leafs to have success with only having or taking them 46 games to get a power play goal from a defenseman? Yeah, I mean... You know, maybe I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. I mean, the power plays in the NHL in general have kind of moved away from the defenseman being the big shot from the point. So, um, you know, the Leafs, what they try and do in their power play is get the puck down low and get in close and have their best shooters take those shots from in close. You know, that's so they want the puck on the stick of Tavares and Nylander and, and Matthews as much as possible. And 
I, I mean, I think they would rather have a big shot threat from the point than not, but they don't have it, so they've constructed their power play in a way that, that works without it. The thing that's a little bit concerning, though, is you know the Leafs have always been such a fantastic power play team. You know, they've been either first or second in most of the last couple of years. Over the last six seasons heading into this year, they were second to only Tampa in the power play. Um, this year, they're, I mean, a couple of days ago before they played Columbus in those games, they were down to seventh or eighth, and now they're back up to fourth again after, you know, scoring on the power play on the weekend. So I think you'd rather see them up closer to the top teams, up closer to, to Tampa and Edmonton. I mean, Edmonton's shooting at 31% on the power play right now. Toronto's down at 25%. I think there's room for improvement. But then you look at all the injuries that they've had. Austin Matthews out right now. Um, you know, I think what they really need to make sure is that the power play doesn't have an outage in the at the end of the season and into the playoffs the way that they've had some other years. Yeah, I just don't know how they avoid that. Because uh, we, we were talking about it earlier. We were talking about the potential of of Jacob Chikrin coming into the fold and maybe being a part of the power play. And then it was like, it's not in the Leafs nature on the power play to go to the point. Somebody texted us and said the Leafs power play isn't designed for point shots. And and I totally understand that. But um, I think my question is like, if we know that, isn't it a problem? More and more what I've been seeing this year from the power play is, is they've been like cycling some of the forwards up up high around the blue line. And then like, you know, like Matthews has scored some goals from up top and it's, which has been a bit different. I don't know. I mean, I think the power play has been okay this year. It just hasn't felt like a, a weapon that the teams just can't handle the way that it has in the past. So, but again, I mean, we're complaining about a team that's got 25% on the power play and, you know, so it's, they've just set such a high bar for themselves. I mean, like, honestly, we should probably be talking about the penalty kill more. The penalty kill yes. down. I mean, they've been down. They're tied for 15th right now with, with the Wild. Like, it's been much less effective. And that's more concerning, I think, than where the power play's at right now. Well, I, I've been talking about how if I'm looking to add something on the, at the deadline, I would like to maybe add something that could, someone who could help on the penalty kill. Whether that's a, a depth forward, like Nick Benino's a name who I've tossed out. If you do go out and you get a Gavrikov or one of these top four defensemen who could help on the penalty kill, like I think that's almost something too. Like special teams, you look at it, those are often a, a big difference maker when it comes to the playoffs, and it has been for Toronto. Special teams haven't been great once you get to the postseason. I'm almost thinking like five on five numbers, like you're pretty good there. Special teams has to be consideration too when you're looking to build out your roster for a long playoff run. You know what's interesting? Like, you look at the difference between, like, the Lightning have set the standard, really, in the Eastern Conference for the last, whatever, five or six years. And if you look at at their play over that time, the biggest difference, other than, I guess, goaltending with Vasilevsky, but the other biggest difference with the Lightning is their special teams have just been better than the Leafs, and especially in the playoffs. And you already know you're going to be playing the Lightning in the first round, right? Like, you know that your penalty kill is going to get matched up against just such a dominant power play force that you know and one that took advantage of the Leafs when when this is certainly the games that were in Tampa in that series last year they were so good so that's what they need to start thinking about and it, it's why I think that while there's been a lot of debate over you know the Leafs need to add a forward they need to add a second line left winger they need to add more offense because they've been shut down you also got to worry about the other side of things and you know maybe he's not not the sexiest name that's available at the deadline, but I think that the rumors about Jake McCabe from Chicago make a lot of sense. You know, he can play on the left side. He can play on the penalty kill. There's been talk about potentially Chicago wanting to being able to retain some of that contract. It's got two more years after it, and he's only making four million. So if you're getting Jake McCabe at two and a half or three million dollars for two more years beyond this year, 
you're in a situation where, you know, Justin Hall doesn't have a contract. It's going to be UFA. You're going to need another defenseman. You know, Jake Muzzin's likely not going to play again. His career's probably going to be over. You're going to need another defenseman in the offseason. Why not just add that piece you need in the offseason right now? And if you can get it with the retention, even better. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, with James Myrtle right now of The Athletic, and, and Pierre Lebrun had a good piece in The Athletic over the weekend. He, he poked around to all the league executives asking about the Leafs and uh, where they think the Leafs are at in terms of in terms of winning around and, and doing well in the postseason and what they should do at the deadline. What stuck out to you from, from that piece, and, and did anything one particular executive uh, say pique your interest? It seems like the Leafs are slowly getting more respect kind of for their defensive game. You know, that's, that's been, that's been a long time coming. Like I think they probably should have gotten that respect around the league a couple of years ago. They were so good in that bubble season against the the Canadian division teams defensively, at least until the playoffs. Um, So you can see kind of like the awareness of, of how the Leafs are built and their strengths and weaknesses getting better around the league. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. You know, Toronto's just one of those teams that you talk to people in front offices and like they're, they're always keeping an eye on the Leafs. Like they're just a team that, uh, you know, part of it's the market, but just, they're just interesting right now for teams around the league. Like, are they going to do it? Aren't they going to do it? The fact that they're going to have to go through Tampa and Boston against this again this year, the fact that they're so heavily invested in analytics, they've got this young general manager, they've got, you know, a, a lot of their cap space all tied up in forwards and, there's just a lot of you hear as someone who, who's written about the Leafs for you know 14 or 15 years. I just get like text messages from executives with other teams that are like, oh, just want to talk about the Leafs. You know, they're just yeah. they're a talking point. And Pierce Peace did a nice job of going around the league and and kind of letting readers in on like some of the gossip that what other teams see on the team. Yeah, what, one of the executives did mention like maybe an upgrade at goalie, especially with the situation with Matt mm-hmm. Murray and the uncertainty of what he could be down the stretch. Uh, but we did hear last week Kyle Dubas came out and said that you know he was going to look to add to Ford and D, the exception probably not looking to add a goaltender. But would that be a mistake to at least not maybe check in on the goalie market and see if they could find a cheap upgrade somewhere? It's just it's hard to do everything, right? Like you got to prioritize. Like I don't think they're going to be able to add a defenseman and a forward and a goalie. So if you're looking to add a goaltender and it's someone that you know, is going to be on your roster and has a salary, then all of a sudden you, you're going to have to, you're going to have to give up one of your other wants or needs. Right. So I think that, I mean, I, I don't, I would never say I was comfortable with the goaltending, you know, Samson has been good. Really the only way I would get aggressive in trying to find a goalie is if Matt Murray gets shut down for the end till the end of the regular season. And then you've got a big chunk of cap space that you can deploy. And then I think maybe it makes sense, but if he's coming back, you kind of just got to cross your fingers, hope that he's healthy, hope that Samsonov continues to play well. And, I mean, it, it sure looks like the Leafs are going to be outmatched in goal no matter what. So yeah. that's definitely going to be a storyline going into the into the postseason for them for sure. Yeah, Vasilevsky, you don't love that matchup against against anybody. Uh, what was the buzz? AB and I have talked a lot about the home-and-home home versus Columbus this weekend and, and whether that loss on Saturday and the way that they lost with Columbus all, coming all the way back was, I don't know, what, do, did you feel any sort of way particularly about it? Did it speak to the group's maturity to you? Was it just kind of a January come, or February rather coming off the All-Star break? What, what did you take away from that one on Saturday? You know what? My takeaway, Someone sent me the stat. I think it was Jonas sent me the stat for the, the Leafs record against the bottom 
uh, like this has been the year of the tank in the NHL, right? There's all these teams that like aren't even trying to win, and they've they've, yeah. they've got Chicago up a couple of times here coming up this week. So yeah. you know it's going to be another test for them. But if you Jonah sent me the stat, and I don't have it right in front of me, but it was something I like got it. The, the Leafs' record four. against the bottom seven, and it's it's brutal. Yeah, four, four, and three against the bottom seven teams. Yeah, so they've lost seven of was that eleven? So they've lost seven of eleven games. And then do you have Boston's record? Boston's record against the bottom teams is it, yeah, they're fantastic. Yeah, so it, maybe that was it. But Jonas probably had that stat in his story today, and I didn't, and I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he like sent he sent me that like right after the game. I was like, yeah, well, and like in the point that Jonas made was that you know the Leafs are it feels like. Boston is uncatchable this year with the year they're having, but they're really, you know, they're 11 points up on the Leafs. You know, if you win like three more of those games, all of a sudden they're still within striking distance and, you know, potentially you can make it interesting down the stretch. And if you keep losing to Arizona and Columbus and who knows, we'll see with Chicago here this week, you keep losing those games. All of a sudden it's not interesting. And the thing too, is you look at points percentage, Tampa's got them. Tampa's ahead of them in points percentage right now. So they might not, Leafs are flirting with not having home ice in the first round right now. Yeah, well, that's where I, I pulled from that stat. Like, I know he, he took those two teams and talked about maybe it's cost him the, the division, but it could cost him home ice. Like, he, he, Tampa's, like you said, they've now overtaken them in terms of points percentage. they got a couple games in hand and only two points back. And, I mean, the the losses series to these teams could be the difference between hosting a game seven or having to play it on the road, and that's not favorable for Toronto. We know how that what happens at Amelie Arena. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you go back, uh, I've gone back and watched some of those games from the playoffs last year and and the lightning are just really, really formidable on home ice. So giving them another game there is going to, it's going to decrease the odds of the Leafs winning the series. It just is. So, you know, there has to be, I'm sure that Sheldon Keefe is getting in that dressing room and saying this, but they, they got a, they do have something to play for here and it's to try and get home ice in game seven. And while it didn't go in their favor last year, that was a very close game that could have, and they should, they should play for it and they should beat Chicago and Montreal this week to show that they can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, appreciate it as always, uh, James. Hope we can chat again real soon. Thank you.